What do you call two guys that were there when this happened? Back to return at Spurlock. Michael Spurlock at the 10. He's to the 20. He's to the 25. For the 30. To the 40-yard line. We could see history. 50. 40. To the 30-yard line. Run, Michael. Run, Michael. Run, Michael. Run. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. There you go. And that 62-yard field goal attempt. It is good. Let's go. Eagles. Who can forget? Again, I'm looking again. Those up the middle. That's hey, intercepted at the Derek 30. Brooks. Derek Brooks, 30. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Derek Brooks, the most valuable player in the National Football League. There it is. The dagger's in. We're going to win the Super Bowl. We call them the Salty Dogs. Well, hi there, Buccaneer fans. Podcast fans, I'm glad you've joined us again this week. You're awful chipper for a I, that's day exa- after a game. That's exactly what I was going to say. We're we're upbeat and we're cordial and we're we're feeling fine, even though the dude, my lost, butt's right? dragging. I'm just telling you. Yeah, you're tired. I'm tired. The yes. long long night. And yeah, early morning. Yeah, I started my Tuesday out, uh, or rather my Monday out, with a 9 a.m. meeting. That's always a crowd pleaser Dels in itself. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you play uh, a Monday night game. From the standpoint of working for the team, Tuesday becomes Monday and Tuesday jammed together right. with a little bit of Sunday night as well. Right. So, and well, we're here, though. That's such a grind. Yeah. That's why we're paid that's the big bucks. Yeah, that's it. Oh, we're the Salty Dogs. I should mention that. We should. I'm, I'm Scott Smith. I'm Jeff Ryan. And uh, we've uh, really enjoyed this podcast. We said they couldn't possibly kick us off the air until, you know, as long as the Bucks are winning. So I guess we're in yeah. jeopardy now. Yeah, well, we're on the ropes. So we need everybody to keep listening. So well, we're playing our best game. We're doing what we can. We're rebounding today. Well, we take it one week at a time, Jeff. Yes. Well, this is our rebound show. Yes, I'm going to give it 110% today. Uh, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. You've been slacking you know, those other days. Every day, you don't get better, you get worse. You can't stay the same, as Tony Dungy used to say. <laughs> So, which, which, by the way, last night or oh yeah, Monday that's a good night, place to start. Um, awesome event all the way across the board. The number of alum that came to pay tribute to Tony Dungy was unreal. You said there were five buses full. There were five buses. That's what Dave Moore told me, that he said there's like five buses full. The uh, West Club was packed with yeah. nothing but <clears throat> alum. And my head was spinning out of all the different people who were saying hi. It was crazy. And not just players, but like former football staffers, front office, front staff. office people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the organization really, they just reached out to everyone who was a part of it during the time Tony was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Tony, Laura, his his yeah. uh, assistant. Right. She was there. Oh, was she? Uh-huh. I mean, it was just. Laura McCarthy? There you go. Very good. Laura McCarthy, whose husband is named Cormac McCarthy. Does that name ring a bell to you? No. Cormac McCarthy was also not the same person, but also the name of the guy who wrote The Road, that really depressing dystopian novel about you, you don't know what I'm talking nope, about. Nope, not at all. Somebody out there, somewhere there's an intersection. All right. And I'm a reader, there's so a thin I'm going to diagram have... of Buccaneer fans and people who have heard of or read The Road. Somebody is listening to this. Is going, it good? Oh, I know. It's 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 a slog. It's incredibly depressing. It's extremely depressing. That wasn't what I asked you. Was it good? Yeah, it's well written. Oh yeah, it's kind of a classic. I may have to check it. Uh, to check it out. The road. The road. McCarthy. So, <clears throat> yes, the halftime of that game was very good, and maybe that's why the second half was much better than the first half. Wow. Well, it wasn't even the first half. It was the second, second quarter. quarter. Yeah. Uh, we were doing the, when we were up in the broadcast booth doing the game. We go to break. And Dave and I, Dave Moore, Gene, and and I would hit the all button and go, 
We just had four turnovers, and we're still in this game. That's unreal. Although it didn't necessarily feel like it after no. it became 30-10. to 10. No. And that's why that second-half turnaround was, was encouraging, even though it came up a bit short. <coughs> yeah, and, and you know what? You can't, you can't beat yourself. You know what they should call Twitter? They should call it um, uh, overreactionville. Oh, yeah. I mean <laughs> – in both ways. I mean, mm-hmm. this town went absolutely mm-hmm. bonkers for Ryan Fitzpatrick the last two weeks. And then when those picks happened in rapid succession, it was all like, well, I guess he lost the job now. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, let's let's take let's take a step back and look at the entire big picture here. First of all, three the fumble wasn't his fault. The Godwin fumble wasn't Ryan's fault, obviously. I then agree. he threw three straight picks. You can't have that. Nobody's absolving Ryan of that. Nope. He was Part of the problem that led to four straight drives being turnovers. But if you look at each one, one was tipped by a blitzing linebacker, so that's mm-hmm. a protection issue. Uh, the second one, which he, where he looked like he just threw it to where no bucks were around, Mike Evans has said that he felt like he took responsibility for that one, that he didn't run the route he was supposed to run. Yeah, I was, I was a little puzzled by that. Again, that doesn't absolve Ryan. No. But it does lend some insight into the fact that most interceptions are not created equal. Sometimes a quarterback makes a bad throw when he's trying to hit a target and he overthrows him and it's picked off or he doesn't see the defender like Ben Roethlisberger didn't mm-hmm. see Justin Evans streaking over. That's mm-hmm. that's on Ben, mm-hmm. that one. But some of them are a combination of factors. That one, and then I didn't even know this until I just saw the replay a little while ago on the pick six, Fitzpatrick's arm was hit as he was throwing, mm-hmm. which caused it to be errant. I don't know if that would have been a good throw if it hadn't, and it didn't look like it was going to be much of a play, even if he'd completed it. And he took responsibility for it. But there's factors that go into all this. And so what I'm saying is Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't go from, you know, the second coming of Otto Graham in the first two weeks <laughs> to, yes, of course, I referenced a Northwestern quarterback, to, um, he used to, live to in, being terrible. He, he used to live in Sarasota. Otto Graham? Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. Mm-mm. He and I were in the same fraternity at Northwestern at the same time. In I, fact, we used to get him on uh, this. Come on. We used to you get. You never told me this until now? Well, I thought we were friends. We are, but this is going to drive you nuts. But we had him on the radio when I was doing the Sam Weish um, I, coaches show. This was in the 90s. So. Because it's kind of the job description when doing a podcast. I have to keep talking to you, but otherwise I would not talk to you anymore. Well. Thanks a lot, Jeff. You have to understand that things trigger my memory. That's how it works. Should I just mention everybody that I would like to meet? You may learn a lot. Okay, so in other words, he didn't just go from autogram to being a terrible quarterback. He didn't have his best game, but, I mean, compared to the first two, it would be hard to do any better. What you do is you look at the whole picture. He still made a ton of good throws in that game, a ton mm-hmm. of good throws. He mm-hmm. still competed, as did the whole team. His first throw after that third pick was that 50-yard 50 yard down to Mike, and I like that. I mean, he's like, I'm still bombing away. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Fr- I'm not afraid. No, I know the weapons I got. I know what I can do, and I'm going to keep doing it. And uh, and hopefully we can make it work better. And it did for the rest of the half. Well, the fact that he went over 400 yards again, is first pretty, time ever. Yeah, first quarterback ever to do three straight 400 yard games, which I was shocked by. And when you say first quarterback ever, we're not just talking about the Buccaneers. The National Football League began play in 1920. I remember this it well. Is the, yeah, I thought you did. <laughs> you were scouting out of Graham yes. back at that time. That's it. And this is the 99th season in, of ever of NFL, and he's the first guy ever to do that. Obviously, the game has changed. So there probably weren't a lot of 400-yard passing games, period, in 1950. But still, it's hard to nope. do that. Nobody's done it. Tom Brady hasn't done it. 
Peyton Manning in those incredibly prolific years in Indian Denver never did it, which shocks me, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised. Well, it's in a row, too. It's so. going to happen again because there's the game, as you see, I mean, all around the league, the passing numbers are. Hey, be careful. I could throw uh, unnecessary roughness to your partner right now. To my partner? Yeah, me. Just because oh, the penalties. Well, yeah. No matter if what, not, if you lean forward. If I yes. wobble your chair there, yes. there might be a flag. Yes. Uh, yes. It's getting it's getting to where they're going to have to make that adjustment. Somewhat, somewhat like they did with the, the helmet rule, remember, in the preseason, which was so long ago that they were throwing flags about mm. hitting with that. You're not seeing that penalty right. as much. Right. They adjusted. Adjusted. And it's this isn't like the old catch rule where there were some people who there was there was people on both sides of that do you know or have you heard of a single person a broadcaster fan player coach who thinks what's happening with this roughing the passer situation is good maybe the quarterback <laughs> well I've even heard some quarterbacks yes. say that shouldn't have been a penalty yeah it's they, take it's taking the game away it it just doesn't make sense you're asking defenders you're putting defenders in a position where they can't do anything, so therefore they basically just have to keep playing the way they play and hope by the luck of the draw they don't get a penalty. Which, yes, which puts me to when you have a receiver getting blown up and there's not a flag. Right, those guys can get destroyed. And it's, and that makes sense to me, you know. Well, where, the game doesn't, the game is not nearly as interesting or fun when your team doesn't have a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so the league understands that Getting quarterbacks injured is bad for business. I agree. And so I understand where they're coming from, but this is a step too far. And I, I don't even think order quarterbacks would. I, th- I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick likes it when he gets sacked and the guy lands on him. Right. But I also don't think he would say that should be a penalty. I, I agree, yeah. And I th- I think it'll adjust. It's like anything else that has happened. It always There's always adjustments made. They may not change the rule, but it, but it may adjust. Speaking of penalties... We had a lot of them. Yeah, well, they had 13 for 155. Right. But the biggest one for us and the biggest one of the game was the holding that erased the Deshaun Jackson punt return. And that's such a shame. It's not unfair because if you look at the film, Isaiah Johnson did get tangled up with the guy. I can see why the flag was thrown. But I also feel like it's fairly arbitrary Mm because that kind of stuff probably happens on just about every play. And it happened about 50 yards away from where Deshaun caught the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. Could it have affected? Maybe the guy he held up would have been down there to tackle him. I don't know. I doubt it. And it's just, it's a shame. It's not unfair. It's just a shame because not only did it take away a touchdown, we did score on the an ensuing possession, but we chewed three valuable minutes up doing it, mm-hmm. which we needed again at the end. Uh, but it also just, it, I think that would have been a backbreaker for the Steelers. I think the emotional impact of that play, and it's Deshaun Jackson who's done this before in his career, mm-hmm. late in the game, game-changing punt return. You put him back there every now and then for something like that, and he does it. <sighs> he's so done deflating. I believe, uh, and of course you will correct me if I'm wrong, he's done three punt returns. Today, this year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's been and, back there for a few more. Right. But yes, he has three. And so he had the one that, that just took off. Jeff, I, I th- I've said this before, and I think that the way that s- punt returners' stats are uh, – of figured is is totally unfair to the punt returner. So Deshaun would have had an 82-yard touchdown. But because of the holding back at the line of scrimmage where the punt's going on, you get a holding penalty. And the way they do that is they take it to where you caught the ball and go 10 yards back from that. Mm-hmm. So you know what Deshaun gets? One return. He does get a return for zero yards. So if he was averaging five yards on, on two returns, now he's averaging 3.3 on three returns. So Deshaun this year has returned three punts. 
there was the touchdown. There was a good one in New Orleans that would have been like 30 or 40 yards. Mm -hmm. But on the stat page, it looks like he's three for like seven yards. And it's like, oh, Deshaun Jackson. If you didn't have any context and you looked at our stat page, you'd think Deshaun Jackson's not a good punt returner. But in fact, two of his three have been awesome. He's fast. They need to do. They need to figure. I, I actually talked to Nate Ketzer about this once, and he agrees that that's just not a fair way for those stats to be done. It, don't give him a return if he didn't. Yeah. If he had no chance because of penalty to add any yards, then don't charge him for a punt return. Just make yeah, it because a, it didn't happen. Just say it's a fair catch. Just don't, yeah. It's just, I'm sorry. I, I'm, that's all right. You know, as long as I'm on You're, my soapbox, can sure. I can I stay up on this Go soapbox? Go for it. Go for it. And then I'm going to jump off it and suplex you and get a penalty. All right. All right. I talked about Twitter a minute ago being overreactionville. Yes. It's also just a wild west of wannabe tough guys. Yes. And I understand that there could be a listener out there that oh. I that maybe is among this group. When Chris Conte left the game and we report injuries when they happen. Yes. We, all of them. Always. I will report on Twitter, Chris Conte knee will not return. And every internet tough guy out there starts ripping on Chris Conte because that happened shortly after that bad play on the touchdown by Vance McDonald. Bad, bad play bad all play. around. Right. Because somehow Vance McDonald was out there by and himself. Chris Conte was the only one around and there's nobody within 175 yards. So when Chris was unable to bring him down, it's a 75-yard mm-hmm. touchdown that compounds it. But not a good play for Chris Conte. No. But um, so then he leaves the game with a knee injury and every, every comedian on Twitter is, makes the exact same joke. He's not. It's his pride that's hurt, or he's quitting at halftime, like the Buffalo guy, or you know he should retire. You know, it's all he didn't hurt his knee. He hurt his pride. He hurt his ego. Okay, let me tell you this. I think Chris Conte was a game day decision. He mm-hmm. hurt his knee in the previous game, didn't return, and was limited all week in practice. And I think it came down to the wire whether he was even going to play. So he plays, and he legitimately re-injures his knee. That's what happened. I don't care if you like or don't like Chris Conte's play. The, the joke about it, don't him qu- not actually being hurt. Are you saying don't question his manhood? Any of these guys. Mm-hmm. I would, <laughs> Any of these guys. Yeah, just I, being I a, agree. Maybe the only player that ever you could for us was that wide receiver, Dexter Jackson, who got here and was clearly afraid to get hit, and he never made it. But all these other guys are out there laying their, their bodies on the line, and a guy is not pulling himself out because his ego's hurt. He hurt his knee. No. I, I Yeah. In fact, I think 99% of players in in that situation would be – upset that they had to leave the game because they want to make up for it. They want to make a big play. And 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 to their fault, they will play when they right. might, where, where they push yeah. themselves to the limit right. and say, exactly. you know what, I want to go for it. Let me see what happens. Yeah, uh, the, That was a crazy play, though. You the know? other safety that got hurt was when uh, rookie Jordan Whitehead decided to take on the stadium wall. I actually was, I actually started started saying, ooh, look out, look out, look out. And it – from up in the press box didn't do much good. I I guess he just lost where he lost was. Lost track of where they were. I, and I think they both were going. The, yeah, they the were both conti- – so he was following the receiver. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger led him into the wall, and mm-hmm. he didn't realize when he left the end zone. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. I know. Oh. And and he didn't he didn't hit it easy either. No. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm glad he's okay. Yes. I mean, I assume he's okay because he went back into the game. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a scary moment. That 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 is the type of stuff that, that you know, ends careers. Look, here's another moment that I thought was interesting. Um, one of the, and it's a good topic overall, the mm-hmm. um, all the roughing the passer penalties. Yes. Uh, and there were either four or five in that game. I actually think, even though we got a couple of them, the ones that were called against Pittsburgh were probably more helpful to us. I, I think oh, yeah. It kind of worked in our favor, even though we don't like these new roughing the passer rules. But the, the Jason Pierre-Paul one, 
one of these two things is true. Jason Pierre-Paul is an extraordinarily strong man, mm-hmm. or Ben Roethlisberger is a very good actor, because... Pierre Paul was rushing in, and I don't think he even meant to, but a, an errant swing of his hand, and he bopped Ben right on the top of the helmet. Right. And, and Ben went down like a 260-pound like sack of potatoes, yes. just straight down. But the reason why that's a penalty is because it was a slap to the head. A slap to the head. Yeah, yeah. I understood why that was a penalty. Um, but it was kind of incidental. It didn't look that bad, but Jason Pierre Paul must pack quite a punch. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Con- considering considering that uh, later on in the game, Ben was wrapped up and he was still able to throw the ball. He did that all night. He did it on that last play that killed us. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's that's what he does. It's a, well, you don't realize how big and strong he is. He makes plays outside of the pocket when you can't get him down. That is the single most dangerous thing that the Steelers do. If you notice. Yeah, Antonio Brown had, what, nine catches or so, mm-hmm. six catches, and Shuju Smith-Schuster had a bunch of catches. But most of the stuff they do that's designed and goes off quickly was quick underneath stuff. And uh, and a lot of the, the big plays they get downfield are, are like that, when it mm-hmm. breaks apart and he can make a play like that. So uh, <coughs> that was unfortunate. I forgot where I was going with this. Penalties, Ben, getting Penalties, things done, yeah. slap of the head, dropping down. I guess we just kind of went off on a tangent mm-hmm. there, but um, well, in fair in in fairness to to oh well, go ahead, Jason Pierre-Paul. Yes. I wanted to talk about him. how strong he is. Well, he had two sacks, and it yes. did, he, I know he got that penalty, but he had two sacks. He forced a fumble, didn't he? Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of um, attempts around here in in a good amount of years now to find a veteran, uh, or even to use the draft to find a defensive end. And most of them haven't worked out. You know, your Michael Johnson mm-hmm. type additions. Adrian Claiborne didn't really work out for us. Obviously, mm-hmm. Gaines Adams didn't work out. Yep. Um, and this one looks like it's working out. And when we traded for Jason Pierre-Paul, there was debate. I think most people would, would be on the side that I was. That It's third-round pick, right? That a, I don't think you, you're very commonly going to get a pass, an impact pass rusher with a third-round pick. So... I think it's worth the risk. It's always a risk with a veteran that far into his career because how much does he have left in his tank? Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like this was definitely worth the risk. Uh, he's playing phenomenally well, and I believe he played 94% of the snaps. Now, when last year he played more the, the most snaps of any defensive lineman in the entire league. He was always on the field, and he likes He said he likes that. But mm-hmm. the plan when we brought him here and we brought in Vinnie Curry and Mitch Unrein and Bo Allen and drafted Vita Vea, uh, was to have an eight or nine man deep rotation of guys that we like to have on the field and keep them fresh, reduce everybody's snaps a little bit to get to make them more effective overall. And we haven't been able to do that. For most of that game, it was Vinnie Curry, Gerald McCoy, Will Golston, and JPP. And they played well, especially in the second half, which is impressive because they should have been getting worn down. No points scored. <clears throat> and uh, but that's not that's not the end goal here. At some point when we get more people healthy, it's going to get even better, but I'm just really impressed with Jason Pierre-Paul so far. Yeah, and you know the defense is, is you know is taking heat because they, you know 30 points were scored. But That's uh, today's NFL. Yeah, but I thought if you look back, they did what they needed to do, and that was in the fourth quarter they made the stop and gave us or the Buccaneers an opportunity to march down the field with 2:36 right. in the clock. And Ryan Fitzpatrick even said the defense did their part. Yeah. I didn't do mine. Yeah. That's on me. I think me. he was upset he didn't hit that one first down pass to Mike. Yes. Yes. And he, and so if you as you game plan or as you watch a game unfold, what are you hoping for? You're hoping for to get the ball a, a chance to win. Because most NFL games come down to that. And we did. They, yeah, the, that's the, right. the offense had a chance. The defense did what now 
I, I agree. It's fourth down. I agree. You punt the ball because if you if you feel like you can hold them to just yeah. a field goal, then I it, either have, way. I thought at the point I turned to the person next to me, I'm like, I think we have to punt here. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree I agreed, with that. But I also would not have thought it would have been a crazy decision to go for it for this reason. You're winning by three. Mm-hmm. Whether you punt or fail on a fourth down, you now still need to use your two timeouts and the two-minute warning to stop them. If if you can stop them, yes, they're in scoring territory, but they're going to kick a field goal. And if, assuming they make it, you still have a chance to win with a touchdown. So I could see that argument. If you were able to get two timeouts and a two-minute warning and get the ball back with, say, 145 left. But if you could stop them and they only have to go 30 yards, then agreed. why, why I, not you make them go all the way? Well, and but try- be, well the, the flip side is because you have the fourth down opportunity mm-hmm. to keep the ball in your hands. Is it worth that? For, I, I agree, though. I, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying I could see yeah. the other side of it. But I would, I would say uh, you go uh, – it had been – Fourth and four, it, it, the distance was different. If um, the play, I mean, there was three quick plays. I thought they played very quickly in that point where I, where I think there was plenty of time. Or maybe that was just my imagination. I thought we were lining up real quick. Yeah, throw good a, tempo. Interception. Right. Okay, or not an interception, incompletion, stop the clock, huddle up real quick, boom, again. I, I just thought it was going mm. much faster than it needed to. But that could have just been the pace of the game. Mm. So, I mean, it's great to sit back and go ifs and buts yeah. and candy and nuts and all of that. We all be happy at Christmas. Do you Which, remember that? I no. do remember okay, that, Ryan. Very yes, good. I do. All right. Um, you ready to wrap this part up? Yeah. I, okay. The only thing I want to say is that um, I feel good. I, yeah, I, me too. I, I really like how – I really like in the direction of this team. I don't know where this is all going to go, but I like the fact that the tents didn't get folded. I like the fact that – um, the comments after the game. I, that's how I measure the yeah. locker room. And everyone was not looking at anybody else. But whether you talk to Cam or you talk to Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Mike Evans, each one talked about what they should have done mm-hmm. and not what what, what happened to all and it was also everyone. clear that despite the loss they hadn't lost any confidence that they built up the previous two weeks right mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty obvious I liked it. in the locker room yes. i'll say this um and and i'm no i knew somebody's going to say it i haven't mm-hmm. heard anybody say it yet so i'll be the first one say it. before the season started if you if somebody told mm-hmm. you we were going to be two and one after these this incredibly hard first game stretch you'd take it You'd take it. Take it. Diehard Buck fan would take it at uh, I, one and three. I don't think a co- one and two. Or one it'd be hard two. to be one yes. and three after three games. Well, I'm just saying anybody at, the, can do at it. the end, but after th- after the first quarter of the season. Ah, well, I was only talking about the first three games. Mm-hmm. We were placing teams that yes. had historically hard beginning to the season. Most people, yes. Uh, the players and coaches wouldn't take it because mm. they wouldn't want to give up the chance nope. to win all three. But you and I would say, yes, we'll take that. Mm-hmm. And what's even better is if you were, if you knew you were going to be 2-1 and one after those three games, you would want to have beaten New Orleans and Philly and lost to Pittsburgh. Because mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh game, every win's important, but the Pittsburgh game would be the least important because they're an AFC team, which won't factor much into tiebreakers. You have a win on the road against a division opponent. You have a win against an NFC team that happens to be the Super Bowl chance, mm-hmm. and it's almost certainly going to be there at the end. Mm-hmm. You may have a tiebreaker against them. To get that head-to-head was huge. So we are thrilled to be two and one with wins over Philly and at New Orleans. So you're right? saying if you're taking a loss, it was good that it was an AFC. If you had team. to take a loss, I'm glad that's the one out of the three I that agree we lost. With that. Too okay. bad it was on a national stage, uh, yes. but the, they did rally at the end, so that's good. So we were talking about fourth down plays uh, and and how sometimes you have to go for it. Uh, in 1997, the Buccaneers opened five and zero. Oh, you remember that? Mm-hmm. And I think it was um, it was San Fran that big game. Tony was talking about this. Uh, 
between Dungey on your radio mm-hmm. spot with him. And then nobody thought we'd win at Minnesota and Detroit. Do you remember what the fourth game was? No, yeah. I think it was the fifth game. The fifth game of that set was against Arizona. Arizona. It was here. Mm-hmm. It was here in Tampa. Uh, it would have been Tampa Stadium, not Raymond James Stadium. Correct. Fourth down, going in about the 40-yard line, maybe like fourth and seven. We go for it. A player catches the ball over the middle, not only converts the, f- the first down, the fourth down, but takes it all the way in zone for what would prove to be the game-winning touchdown. Who was that player? Carl Williams. <clears throat> Carl Williams is going to join us on the next segment. Carl, the, the truth, truth Williams. We'll have him here in just a minute. The Salty Dogs. And we're back here on the Salty Dogs. Uh, the Salty Dogs are, I'm Scott Smith. Yeah, I'm and, Jeff Ryan. But we have another guy who claims he's a Salty Dog with us. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I'd already been here for a while before this guy showed up. Uh-huh. He's one of our favorite Buccaneers yes, of all time. Is. Carl, the truth, Williams. Carl, you're actually here with us in the studio. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. And, and you're here because of the Tony Dungy thing. So tell us how that was last night. Well, you know what? I... I uh, I, I saw Tony and, and his wife uh, in Dallas, actually, for their book signing um, and kind of talked to him. And, and I was already excited about it, you know, when, when I found out that he's going to be inducted into the Ring of Honor. And I, I knew it was going to be so many players and so many coaches. And, you know, Tony Dungy's the type of person. He's touched so many lives, you yeah. know, not just in coaching. But um, I knew it was going to be a big night, you know, uh, not just for him, but for the for the entire Buccaneer family. You Did know? you run into anybody last night? Jeff said I wasn't there, but just, oh, Jeff crazy. said the West Club that you were like, oh my god, I hadn't I, even I, thought about that guy first. Yeah, Carl I, was one well, of them. <laughs> we knew he we were going to. No, talk. but he actually came up and said <laughs> yeah. hi. So. Yeah, no, was, but did you see anybody you hadn't it, thought of for a while? You know what? I, I saw players that I hadn't hadn't seen since I left Tampa, and you know it was it was more like a family reunion. That's nice. You know, yeah. and guys, you see guys, you know, hugging each other and, and things like that, and and it just it just shows that. Uh, you know, being teammates with some of these guys is a lot bigger than football. Well, let me tell you why you're here, why I reached out to you, because, you know, there were a lot of guys that were there that we'd love to have on the show. And we probably eventually will. And we will. would like to. Um, but we answered a question. We do fan questions at the end, and we were asked who we thought was the most underrated Buccaneer of all time. And when, when I answer questions like that, usually I, I go with what my first gut reaction is, and then I go and do some research. But my first reaction was Carl, Carl. Williams. Yes. I, and I, I started thinking – does does a player feel like that's a compliment or what when they're thought of as underrated? You, you know what I I take it as a compliment. That's good because uh, I meant it as one. <laughs> you know because uh, coming in in '96, uh, nobody knew of me. No one heard of me. You know I was I was just one of these guys that I guess back then they called him a camp player. Yeah. You know the guys that just an extra body in camp so you don't wear you know some of the uh, your, your your stars down and uh, I've been an underdog all my life mm-hmm. so I, I I felt comfortable coming in. As an underdog, as a as a nobody, and uh, to me, uh, coming in like that, you have a clean slate. You have something to build on, hmm. you know. And uh, that was my whole, men, you know, mentality back then was, you don't, you, you've never heard of Carl Williams, but you know, before it's over, hopefully, if if I do everything that I can do and what I've been doing in football, then you will know of Carl Williams. Well, he's coming out Buck of the fans. power. He was coming out of the powerhouse school for the Buccaneers. Same name, Kingsville. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Which, which is no. I, I, you, we laugh about that, but you weren't the only one that came out. Well, of, came well out to of that correct school. me if I'm wrong, but I think our scouts saw you because they were out there scouting like Jermaine Mayberry or something. Yeah, like that. he was. He was the one that that brought most of the scouts uh, to down to Kingsville, and uh, um, it, you know, our whole thing was if we can get one scout down. Then we can get two scouts down. We can get right. two scouts down. You can get three <laughs> scouts down. So, um, you know, that whole senior class was like, you know, if they come to see him, then 
I'm going to catch somebody's eye, you know, yeah. and that was the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, eventually I think we got like 31 teams, uh, teams down there uh, my, my senior year to, to, to look at it and, and scout other players other than Jermaine Mayberry. Any chance you remember who the, who the Buck scout was? I don't Uh came out no, no. I, 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 it's a long time ago it was it was a lot of scouts but i, I do remember the, i can uh, tell you how many are taking credit <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was uh I, if i'm not mistaken i think uh the book scout uh, or at least one of them came down a couple of times probably if I'm not mistaken. because we so, liked mm -hmm. yeah we liked george diaz and kevin dog yeah and, and and you know the, the 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 funny thing about it is a lot of the scouts came to look at our offensive line because our you know uh back then our offensive line was averaging like 310 315 which is huge for you know <laughs> yeah. division two school and uh you know i was just another part of the, of the offense you know and, yeah. and small you know not really not having blazing speed but you know, I, I kind of use what I had, you know, to make yeah. it work. So, uh, but um, I, I read something. I don't know if it's true or not, but um, I had read something that, okay, if Kevin Doggins and, and uh, Jorge Diaz, if they come, then you have to bring Carl in. That's what I heard. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, deal. I was like, <laughs> Like we're but it was this guy well, with us. It falls underneath if you draft Leroy Selman, you have you to bring his brother to yeah, you know, yeah, yeah one, one of those type of deals. <laughs> well, but it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was a great opportunity for me, though. That's you talked great. about, you know, you said if, if you did things right, people were going to eventually know your name. So that's true, particularly here in Tampa. I wowed Jeff on that other episode with some stats and notes about you, and, and it's easy to wow Jeff because he's kind of feeble. <laughs> um, this is why he turns my sound on sometimes. Uh, I wonder. I if just let him ramble. And then the real interview. I say you're, you're just sitting back and just kind of. Carl, the real interview starts right after he gets done. <laughs> Continue. He sends me for, for coffee. Continue. And yes. So, do you know these things? Do, do you know? And I'm obviously kind of giving away the answer. Which receiver in Buccaneer history has played in the most games? Would you have known that was you? No. You've played in more games than any other receiver in team history. Really? really? Swear to God, hundred on the nose, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, more than Kevin House, more than Mark Carrier. Mike Evans might get there someday, but mm -hmm. that says something. It says a lot. Well, you know, being being here for eight uh -huh. years is is uh, is that how long you were here? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I I think that plays a, a a lot into it. You know, you don't have a lot of players that stay with teams a very long yeah. time. Now, and, and but they uh, have to be valued in a number of ways for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But how about this one? Go ahead. Uh, you, you know, he, Carl had five punt return touchdowns, five of the nine, I think we have from, and they got, you got them all from 96 when you made that first great run at the end of your rookie season through the Super Bowl season, 02, you had one that year. So you had five from 96 to 02. There's only two players in the entire NFL who had more in that span, Desmond Howard and Jermaine Lewis. And they are known as like some of the best uh, return men of their generation, right? You remember those names. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, Desmond Howard won a Super Bowl MVP on a return. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, those guys were. I was there for it, that game. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's it's amazing that my name is even mentioned up there with those guys. But you what know, I'm those saying are, is it's deservedly so. Yeah, I mean, it. it I, you know, I, I I really never even thought about. It. I, I'm not really a really big on like a um, a stats, stats guy. Yeah, that's you know? fair. That's what I. And do. and and the, and, the, and the reason why is because you know coming in uh, as a as a, a no name and and things like that, you you pretty much put yourself in a situation where you're a uh, situational player. Okay. And and that's what I based my career off of. I, I didn't really care if I started. I didn't really care, um, you know, as long as I was able to contribute to the win. Mm -hmm. and, th and that's how, I, you know, I, I approached everything. And uh, the funny thing about it is, is being, you know, 
the returner here. Everybody, you know, always know I'm, I'm known here for being the return guy. And I didn't actually get my first return until um, like the eighth game of the season. Yeah. Cause my, they, my rookie year. They started with Nilo Sylvan, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, another funny thing is uh, Joe Marciano, Coach Marciano, yeah. when he was here. And uh, I remember after that first practice, you know, he says, anybody return kicks in college, stay after practice. And I'm like, okay, here's here's another opportunity. You know, I didn't do it on a on a full time basis in Kingsville, but I did it when you know when it when it really mattered. So I, I felt I I can get back there and, and really do something. And he grabbed my my jersey and he goes, okay, you go in. And he just starts sending guys in because we had so many people out there. And I'm like, wow, I don't even get a chance to you know return kicks. <laughs> so, uh, but that that eighth game, my rookie year, and it was in uh, Green Bay, and all the way up to just before we we go out for the uh, national anthem. You know, Marciano comes to me and goes, I need you to, to do returns. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, just like that. And and uh, I, I think I had a – I mean, I had a, had a great return, you know, return game uh, that, that day. And uh, ever since then, you know, Marciano was like, the job's yours. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay, okay, let's do this, you know. But well, you it, it was it. it was really, really interesting. It was it was really interesting that everything worked out that way. You, you killed it down the stretch after that. I mean, I think you had several – a lot of long returns. Average, like – 21 yards per punt return yeah that, like that that year it was it was, a, it was amazing and and you know as a returner it, you know you're only as good as the guys blocking up front for you fair enough um my, my whole thing was i was just a patient returner and and that was okay. the thing that really really helped me out i know see, see carl is is pro typical of a tony dungy guy <laughs> i'm a product of dungy you are spreading spreading the well no just uh spreading the credit around c- well not only that but coming in uh division two school Coming in, doing what he can do, staying focused, contributing where he could contribute, stayed in the league because he could do that. And that's something, if you start looking at different guys that Tony had, and, and I sat down with Tony and we we had a discussion and he was talking about it's it's not necessarily the best athletes that make it on the field. It's the guys that do all the right things. And and you were doing, and you have done that. You know, it's funny you say that. I remember that's one of the, one of the, uh, first things that I remember in, in one of our first meetings uh, uh, Coach Dungy saying is that, you know, we may not keep the 53 of the best athletes, but I'm going to keep the 53 that of the best, best athletes that create this team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that I was the best or one of the best athletes, but I, I, I figured that by, you know, buying in on what he's coaching, you know, what he's, what he's even in that first meeting, that, you know, not being a, a a big hit, I guess you, you can say, you know, and, and really being a situational player that you can plug in whenever you, you need. And that, that's what really stretched my career out. When you were coming into camp, every, every camp, were, were you always thinking you were a bubble guy or did you ever feel comfortable? We've talked about this with players before. Did they ever or did you feel comfortable coming into camp? You know what? I, I felt comfortable knowing that my job was on the line. It, it kept me hungry. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it kept me fighting. I, I, I can't remember in, in my nine years in the league – coming in to a camp thinking, oh, I got this, you know, or, uh, you know, they're bringing all these younger guys in. It's like, you know, you're behind me type deal, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I looked at everybody as if they're trying to take what's mine, and that's how you have to approach it, you know. Uh, I, I guess that was the right approach to take because it, it, it kept me, you know, <laughs> kept me on the team. Well, what I, what I like is that not many guys can get away with this, but he's got some great ink on his arm. I don't know if you noticed that Scott <laughs> well, over here. Well, it says here. truth on this side. No, it says truth. <laughs> on this one, it's even better. Show Scott what it says over there. 
World Super Bowl champs. World yeah. champs. Super yeah. Bowl champs there. Not many guys can walk around with that on Yeah, you, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's something that you're going to always remember. When well, did you, wait a second, when did you get that put on? Um, probably a couple months after we, we won wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow, it's holding yeah. up pretty I'm, good. And and you know what? I'm I'm not really big on tattoos. Uh huh. You know, yeah, but it looks like he, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not it's really big on selective. tattoos. But so um, what prompted that? Uh, other than winning a world, you know what? A couple of, a, a couple yeah. of other well, guys, but you do have a ring. A couple guys yeah. did it. A couple other guys did it. Really? I think uh, Todd Washington. Uh, okay. Um, he I think he was the first to do it, and I was like, oh man, that's a great idea. You know, <laughs> in case <laughs> and, you forget. Yeah, you I know? saw Todd on the big jumble when they were all about mm-hmm. to come out of the the. Um, uh, tunnel, tunnel, tunnel last night. He, I could see him flashing his. Yeah, we're flashing the ring. Yeah, and it, you know what's, what's what's funny about that too? Or, you know, we got down the, down in the tunnel so early, and and uh, I guess they were thinking that the game was going to go a little bit faster than I uh, get to halftime, and we're down there waiting and waiting. And I go. They have to remember they got a bunch of old guys down here. You know, and, <laughs> These are and, and, yeah, and, and, and we were all leaning on the wall, and I'm like, oh man, this is going to look bad walking out there on the field. And, well, there were, yeah, there were like two two-minute drills in there. I mean, because we went down the field, got a field goal, and then they went all the way down the field, got a touchdown, <laughs> yes. rather than somebody just kneeling on the ball. So you had two more kickoffs and all that. So before you came on, we were talking about – I brought up the play against Arizona in 1997, the fourth-down catch that ended up being the game-winning touchdown. That's I think that's my number one memory of your play when I look back. Yeah, there were some punt returns that were awesome, too. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have a top memory? Uh – I mean, I don't have one that just really stands out. I I have a few that I always think about, and and uh, you know I go dust off some of the yeah the VHS tapes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and uh, and kind of kind of look at it. And and um, the one that that I really uh, that comes to mind right now is the the game winner against uh, Carolina here in Tampa from Dilfer. Yeah, it's like to, a, I, I can't remember I what like year it was, remember. you know. But uh, that one, but definitely the Arizona one, uh, being Aeneas Williams. Was it against New Orleans where you had the punt return where you kind of like changed directions? Remember that one? That was uh, that was that was in '97. That was the second my second year against Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's amazing how they do, throw out a play oh, that, recall. Yeah. Well, Tony uh, Dungy was like that too. Mm-hmm. When he was here, he could remember like everything from every game. So, yeah, it, so, it, you know, a lot of I ran into a lot of Bears fans, and <laughs> you know, after when I returned my my uh, the punt return my rookie year, and and we you know we beat the Bears, and then uh, the following year we played them the last game of the season again. I had another return, and but that was 99. Uh, some of the that was ninety nine was it ninety nine? Yeah, you guys okay. won the last game of the season in in Chicago, and you had a punt return touchdown. And no, that was actually here in Tampa. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was the it clinched the um, division. Yeah, right. that's what it was. Paul Gruber broke his leg. That, that was in Chicago. Was, yeah. I thought it was in Chicago too. So no, that wrong. was that was here in here, here in Tampa. I no. probably got two different games. You must be good, but see, I get hit in the head for a living. Okay, I will say this: Paul Gruber broke his leg in Chicago. In Chicago, that was the last okay, game then, of '99. That, that was the last game. The last no, this game. was this was '96, and then the following okay, '97. Okay, 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 that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, because in '98, the last game was in Cincinnati. That was when where you guys blew them out. Oh yeah, thirty-eight to nothing. Thirty-five, yeah. Thirty-five. So I was saying before the reason why you were on was the um, the underrated thing came up, and then some a subsequent listener sent us an email saying you guys should get Carl Williams on. So that's why that came about. Just so you know. Oh, okay. Uh, so it, people remember you. I mean, you've made a mark in in the Buccaneers' minds. Well, you know what? I I really appreciate the fans. Uh, 
now and, and, and also, you know, when I was playing. But to, to come back now, even years later, and have people come up and shake my hand and, and you know, you hear them yelling truth and yeah. things like that, it, it just it, – it, I mean, Tampa's always going to be my home. How did you, know? you get the, the middle name truth? <laughs> no. Well, I know, but, but the fans need to know. Okay. Well, I mean, so to make a long story uh, uh, short, um, I know you guys remember Courtney Hawkins and mm-hmm. Alvin yeah. Harper that was here. Yeah. Uh, that was my rookie year. Uh, Miami came up to uh, scrimmage us uh, at University of Tampa, and um, I can't remember the I can't remember the one of the DBs for Miami. We were working on a on a, on a drill right in front of the media. They team. had a lot of good ones. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we were working on a drill, and of course, you know, a lot of the defensive drills are make, puts the uh, offense player at a disadvantage okay. already. So, All right. um, it was a blocking drill, and these guys were, you know coming up and we were just standing still trying to block when they were just blasting us and of course all you know the the veterans they put all the rookies up front (laughs) and i'm like after watching the first two guys you know get blasted on their backs and stuff and i'm like well i'm definitely not gonna do what they're doing i'm gonna let that happen and so i put my mouthpiece in and he went through his drill and when he started coming at me i started attacking him and of course everybody knows in football low man wins so (laughs) i got i got got him right up under his chin (laughs) and once i got him he he grabbed my helmet so i just kind of Scooped him up and did like a power drive move and just dove. And, <laughs> and once we hit the ground, it was just an all-out battle, you know, just a fight. And Oof. you start grabbing face mask. And this was your know. rookie year? This is my rookie wow. year. And it happened right in front of the media This team. may be why you made the team. And uh, But, you know, I was always one of those scrappy guys. You know, I used to always like to go in and block the yeah. linebackers. Mm-hmm. Or, so that led to? That led to to the fight, of course. I was already on top of him from, uh, you know, jumping and yeah. slamming him on the ground. And once we started fighting, it just looked like I was just – you know, kicking Wailing his butt. So, <laughs> you know, then all the, you know, your teammates come in and pull you off. And, and uh, Courtney Hawkins came up to me and goes, that's the truth. That's Carl the Williams. <laughs> yeah. Like that, you know, from the boxer. <laughs> the boxer, yeah. And I didn't think anything of it. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I guess once the local media got a hold of it, and, of course, we, we uh, had a preseason game against Miami, and I scored on a slant route. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I didn't know at the time, but uh, when they did the highlights on uh, – Gene Deckerhoff called uh, you Carl the Truth. Somebody said Carl the Truth Williams. Williams. And I'm like, what? And, you know, what did he say? Then I had everybody calling me going, your name's the truth? And I'm like, I, I guess so. <laughs> it <you> is now. <laughs> and ever since then, I mean, I, you, you rarely hear Carl. It's yeah, just all truth. The truth. Um, but funny thing about it, like when I used to go out, uh, you know, on, on uh, fourth downs and punt team go out there and I'd go out and go through my little, you know, progressions and, and everything and my last minute uh, uh, instructions from, from the special teams coach. And all of a sudden, I started hearing the crowd going, ooh. It sounded like they were booing me. <laughs> and I came back, you know, I, I think it was like the one game when uh, uh, the first time I, I, I remember hearing it, I went back to the sideline. I go, am I getting booed out there? <laughs> and, they, and, you know, my teammates started laughing. They go, no, man, they're yelling truth. And I'm that's like, what? So and after that, you know, it's, it's just it just exploded. Yeah, so I great. had to put it on my arm. You, gotta, <laughs> you obviously like it because uh, put it on his arm. What, what are you doing now? That's what I was going to ask. Well, telepathy. Well, right now I'm – that's, that's why we're teammates. <laughs> yes. Well, right now I'm like everybody else. I'm, I'm, I, of course, all the Texas guys that were here always go back to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I – well, First, every time I come back to Tampa, I wish I would have stayed. You know, really? I love, I love, I love Texas, but you know, so many memories and so many things that I miss here about Tampa. So Tampa's always gonna be a home. But uh, right now, I'm I'm at home. I got a two year old son, Carson, who yes. who's, who's like my heart. He's really now. cute. He's yeah. here, he's in the lobby. and uh, he is just amazing. He's amazing. Um, uh, fighting, getting old. You know, 
Yeah. <laughs> like everybody, you tell, know. Once, tell me. Good luck it. with that. It's a battle I'm losing right now. <laughs> I think we're all losing yeah, that battle. You, you know? always do. But yeah. it, it's uh, you know I try to keep up with with football and things like that, and and uh, just you know trying to stay young anywhere I can. So, mm-hmm. but I do a little coaching uh, with with youth, uh, middle school, high oh, school. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's good. Through uh, yes. football university. That's so, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well. We really appreciate you coming by, Carl. Oh, like I said, yeah. dude, it was a personal request from one of our fans. Well, you know what? When 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 I saw that you reached out to me and, and I, I was going to be here in Tampa, I go, you know what? I need to go by there. I don't want to do it over the phone. I want to go by there so and great. sit with these guys. I appreciate so. that. I love yeah. it when they come it's in. It's so Bradley. much better. Yeah, when you're yeah. doing it over the phone, it's fun. It's good, but there's no interaction. Besides, I wouldn't be able to see your tattoo. Right. We appreciate very much. You, you, like you said, your son's waiting for you out there, so we won't keep you any longer, but it's really been a thrill having you here. Thanks well, a lot. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Had a, had a blast. The Salty Dogs. Okay, we're back again here on the Salty Dogs podcast. We just uh, paused for a minute to let Carl leave and yeah. get the family. Great. Yeah, it's good stuff. He does have a really cute son. My goodness, yeah, he's a super nice guy. It's like he hasn't changed yeah. at all. It's you know you forget you know because so many players come through, but then when you reconnect like that, and you know the fact that he played nine years in the NFL is a testament to how hard he worked. I don't think we've had a guy on yet, a former player who has told who has failed to tell a story that I hadn't heard before. So when you ask him about his name, Carl the mm-hmm. Truth, we all we you know most people know they came from there was a boxer named Carl the Truth Williams, but the actual event that led to Courtney Hawkins slapping the tag on him was neat. That's great. That's the type of stuff the salty dogs will find out. You know what? Fan, the, and like I said, this was some fan. If I if I remember correctly, made might have been even a fan from Europe or somewhere, mm-hmm. who said you should get Carl Williams on. So hey. You got our email address, saltydogs at buccaneers.nfl.com. If you want to suggest something we should try to hook up with. Yeah, we'll try to track them down. We'll try. We got a good – Jill Hobbs will help us. She's good. She's excellent. Jill Hobbs has been with the Buccaneers since the first season. 1976, yes. She uh, does alumni or legends or whatever whatever they are. All right, you ready for fan questions? I am. This is one that was prompted by something you said last time. We kind of put a challenge out first, and somebody took us up on it. So this is from Todd M. Taylor, who lives in – Commerce City, Colorado. So that's cool, Colorado. Uh, on the Tony Dungy episode, you guys mentioned the antiquated method, which I think was your words. Me. Of electing Hall of Fame members. How would you change it? Uh, there's a part two, but since this was your extra grind, I'll let you jump on this. Well, I think that at one time it made perfectly good sense to have beat writers only decide who would be going in because those were the people who followed the teams most closely. Uh, that was their job. Um, but it has changed. There's a thing called the internet now, and I think that it needs to not only be uh, writers, but I think it needs to uh, another dimension needs to be added to it, and maybe it circles out to uh, people who cover teams themselves, or uh, even a small section of fans, which is a very small section because it hurts because you end up with. You know, someone like Dallas or whatever. I know you're giving me the evil eye. I don't I'm, like this idea. I, I understand. I understand. But I think it needs to change one way or the other because a lot of times guys don't get in immediately because people say, well, you need to wait. No. Either you're Hall of Fame quality the first go round, or you're not. And that's what drives me nuts. And I also, it also, a lot of times there's personal acts to grind with players depending on how someone treated them or how the perception of how you got treated, which takes away from, it should just be, what did you do on the field? So OG Simpson would be in if, if this, at that time he was in. Yeah. Because he, he didn't, 
But you didn't because when there he, isn't any line a player can cross that you wouldn't put him in. The the safety I'm blanking on his name who got convicted of all the sexual assaults not too long ago, a couple of years ago. But is he is he Hall of Fame quality? If he was though, yeah, but he isn't. All right, you you said it's ridiculous that they make guys wait, and the best example of that is Terrell Owens, who I think it took three years, which is ridiculous because he's clearly one of the best receivers of all time, and they made him wait because they didn't like him. Right. Well, that's what and I mean. They didn't treat him well. That's wrong. However, there's another reason that guys sometimes have to wait, and I think it's one of the things that John Lynch is running into, is that it's a numbers game because you can only do a maximum of five modern era guys every year. Which you and I have a different opinion about. That I don't think there should be a maximum. I think it should be like Hall of Fame voting where Hall if you get for baseball. baseball, if you get a certain percentage, you you're in. It doesn't matter if six guys – now, that normally doesn't happen. It works It works out anyway because, you know, not everybody's going to vote for – people are going to vote for – they don't want to vote for everybody and dilute their ballot. So mm-hmm. different people are voting for – but if 75% of people agree, then you're in. And if, if in a certain year you don't get a high enough percentage, then you drop off forever and you never get another chance. I like that a lot better because if you have six guys you think are Hall of Famers – and you make you make yourself choose only five. Who's who's doing that? Who, who's doing any service there? How's that helping anybody? It's not. And then you have guys that wait that have to wait forever, and then it's, you know, they pass, and then then they get then into they the get Hall put of in Fame by the uh, the, uh, the the senior men. Yeah. So right, we we don't not, like it. It's, it's broken. It, right. It's not a perfect. I, I think the system needs to alter simply because it's antiquated. Okay. Um. See, I feel like I kind of gave a very concrete way to change it, and you kind of just said, hey, let's get some fans and other people involved. I mean, if you're going to complain about it and call it antiquated, come with a solution, Jeff. I just did. Okay. You weren't listening. Uh, I listened. I didn't yeah. hear anything. I, it, okay, look. <laughs> are you telling me – look, I know Hall of Fame voters. Yeah. All right. Case closed. Okay, but you didn't offer a, a – <clears throat> A solution. But what I'm saying is is that it shouldn't just be beat writers. Why why can't it be TV personalities well, that, I, that follow the team? I will, why can't it be a color analyst that, that uh, does a national game? So you don't mind it being media. You just think it should yes, be open to more people. I think exactly. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't. Um, there, but I don't, there's too many. You're going to get too many people involved. How many people are involved I'm, now? Like 45, something mm-hmm. like that. So you eliminate, gonna, you eliminate some of them, and then you add. What, so there's what, a balance. What about this? How about take take what we already got, but, but give the Hall of Famers themselves votes? Oh, I totally agree with that. Then totally you, agree. Then you have a perspective of the people that actually played the game, but you, you still have the perspective of the people that cover it all the time. Enough on that. All right. I don't think we got anywhere. Well, this, no, this you're guy not also going to. said um, on multiple podcasts, you guys have mentioned the NFL Jesus system, which he spelled correctly, so he must have looked it up. I'm interested in checking it out, but it requires a login. Oh, he did look it up. Mm-hmm. Any chance you want to share your login so I can check it out? No, sorry, Todd. <laughs> I, I, it, I don't think it's state secrets or anything, but no. we were given those by the NFL, and we're not really yes. supposed to broadcast them. Cannot give you that. But I think before it's over with in the next few years, simply because like you have coaches tape now that you can all get 22. all 22. It's just a matter of time before um, probably next gen. It will be yeah. we'll, we, you next know, gen's coming. It's coming. That's yes, because I've seen some of that stuff and it and is it's, neat. It's really cool. Okay, um, what would happen in over? This is the second question right. from Alex. What would happen? Where's in over- Alex from? Tampa. What would happen in overtime if one team took the full 10 minutes and didn't score or allow the opposing team to get a chance on offense? The other team gets one chance. But 
here's and I think and they don't, I don't score. Know if, They're I don't right, know. They, they they took up all the time, but they didn't score. Correct. Yeah. Well, I thought in overtime each team got one possession. But how do you do that if the time has run out? Here's another one that's that's related. The opening. Okay, so the rules are the new rules are the first team gets it and if they score a touchdown, the game's over. But if they don't score a touchdown, if they only score a field goal or don't score at all, then the other team is guaranteed at least one possession. Mm-hmm. So if they kick a field goal, you get a shot. Mm-hmm. What if you use nine minutes and 59 seconds and then kick a, a successful field goal as time expires? What I, happens then? I say excellent clock management. Yeah, I, I've asked this question around, and I'm not going to read it. because Do we, we have an answer? A, I an don't official? have a great answer, and here's why. I have the rule book right in front of me. I'm holding it. You can see that. You can verify to the yes. crowd out there. And there is an entire list of of scenarios if the team possesses that possesses the ball first does not score on its initial possession the next team scoring by any method shall be the winner if the team that possesses the ball first scores on a field goal on its initial blah 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 blah. it goes on and on if this happens if that happens if this happens and then there's a whole bunch of notes about special situations but none of them address what i just said use the whole 10 minutes and kick a field goal and time expires so i've asked people around here i i didn't get a chance to ask coach who would probably be the best coach cutter best because he has to know the strategy right but i've asked some people on the football side and there's they they all point to the fact that it's not it's not spelled out in the rule book which you think it would because that's not that crazy of an, a situation oh, but I think know common what... sense is the game's over how well, you I... what i know they're supposed to get a possession but what do you do put a certain amount of time on the clock and if so how much do you give them one play i mean there's there's no solution it just, you like you said good clock management I'm going to continue searching for an official I, answer, but I'm trying it's got to be it. I, the reason why I'm very quiet right now, I'm it's running because I keep talking. No, I'm running through my, I'm I'm running through names, who I think we might be able to reach out to. Okay, and whether that is, if we reach out to someone on the competition committee, that might be a, an idea, or we just reach out to the league itself, and and see if there is a specific answer to that. You know how I know that this Alex was from Tampa? Because uh, it says Tampa. No, because he's my son. Oh. I got, actually got to watch. Wait, go ahead. Actually, got to watch football games on Sunday because we had a Monday night game, mm-hmm. and I was watching a little bit with Alex, and he brought that subject up because New Orleans was kind of they got close, and he brought that question up. I said, I said, I don't know the answer, and I said, Oh, right now, get out your phone and email that to the Salty Dogs. So he had a little in getting a question in. Sorry for those who didn't. So does he listen to the, this podcast? I don't think he has yet, but he'll probably listen to this one. Oh, good, because I want to say, Alex, congratulations <laughs> making your high school football t- or uh, baseball team. That's very I nice think that I know uh, your father would not say this during the podcast, but he's very proud, and we think it's awesome. That he worked really hard. He worked very, he very hard. Really, really hard. And sometimes you got to sh- do a shout-out, so I'm shouting out to you, <laughs> Alex Smith. That's very nice of you. And I had a third question, Jeff, but we actually have to get going. Why? we got to get out of this room. Uh, we That's have, fine. Get, ask so, the question. We're going to miss the what, press conference. It's three minutes. How long is this question going to go? It's 442. All right. <clears throat> hey there, old salty dogs. Can you settle a bet for me and my buddy? He called us old, by the way. Yes. This came up because we were talking about... That's kind of implied in the salty dogs. You don't have to also call us old. Mm-hmm. This came up because we're, we're not old, talking about John Gruden and his tough start in Oakland this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, and three. We, were, we both were big time into that 2002 Super Bowl season from the beginning because we were so excited about Gruden coming here. And as you probably remember, which I do, he actually lost his first game. Correct. New Orleans. Correct. To New Orleans. Right. So here's the thing. Right. I'm pretty sure I remember the losing play being a blocked punt, blocked punt, but my buddy says he read about it years later and the story said the game ended on an interception in the end zone. Who's right? Well, I think the blocked punt will always be remembered because... Uh, that was I thought that was the last play, was it not? They're both kind of right. 
but the interception is technically right because the punter, uh, he saw that it was going to get blocked. Is that Tommy Barnhart? No, it was uh, Tupa. Oh, he saw Tom, that, Tupa. Tom Tupa. He saw that he was going to get blocked. They had no chance. He was standing in his own end zone, and he saw that the punt was going to get blocked. No chance to get it off, so he he pulled it down. He tried to get it. He tried to just a desperation throw to somebody, and it was caught by. It went right to a defensive player. So that is technically an interception in the end zone. But I understand why in your mind you remember it as a block punt. Excellent. So we got that question answered. We're done, and I'm gonna. Well, uh, we're not quite done because what? part two of his question was also which one of you would win if you arm wrestled, you and me. Probably you. Oh, cool. Well, then we don't have to have any more discussion. I mean, we. I mean. I'm throwing it out there because we got to go. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yep. I hope you enjoyed Carl Williams. And, and send us your suggestions if you'd like us to reach out to him. We'll give it a try. Yep. Since you did, thanks for listening.